This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. I don't know if this has uh, anything to do, well, in this particular story, uh, I'm not sure this has anything to do with the uh, Trump situation because this situation has been going on, I understand, for a while, uh, the story that I'm about to tell you. Um, But certainly with the election of Donald Trump and, you know, the vast amounts of people he insulted along the way and really isn't qualifying that now that he is uh, president, uh, basically he just wipes his hands and says, well, that's what you got to do to win an election. Thank you very much. I'm off. Um, But there's a lot of wacky uh, vigilante type redneck people who uh, have used this as as an excuse to be racist. And... If uh, Donald can be racist, the president of the United States-elect, then I guess it's okay for me to be racist, too. So, anyway, uh, again, I'm not sure that these two are related, but um, we certainly have seen an increase on this sort of thing since uh, the Trumpster has uh, won his election. Uh, This is out of... uh, City News. The father of a 14-year-old girl who allegedly received hundreds of racist messages on her Instagram account filmed his visit to his daughter's school on Facebook to get the word out about the incident. I made sure if I went to the school I was going to be heard right away and this situation would get rectified. Uh, And this was a man by the name of Sean Howe. His daughter, uh, Matea, claims last year she was in grade 8, began receiving racist Instagram messages from two girls as she entered grade 9 in an Oakville Catholic secondary school. We don't know what this school is, but I'd love to find out the name so I can mention it on air and wonder, of course, why people aren't doing more to stop this sort of thing at that school. Uh, She says her comments started coming uh, at her like daggers in the high school halls and again on her Instagram account. Uh, Comments like, go cream your scaly black skin, you are my slave, come massage my feet or I'll hang you and throw fire at you, the teen said. Matea's mother says the school failed her daughter. Smith says that uh, when she first heard about the comments on Friday, she called and spoke to the school principal. The first day I called and advised him what was going on, and they didn't uh, even speak to my daughter at that point. He advised me he would speak to my daughter and get it under control. 4.30 came around, still hadn't heard back from him, and nobody said anything to her. Uh, she claims the following Monday she waited hours in the school. This is um, uh, waited sc- uh, for hours in the school's office and was eventually told no one was available to speak to her. Matea said that when she went to school the next day, students continued to harass and threaten her in the halls. She went to the vice principal's office and at last resort says the VP uh, partially put the blame on her for reacting to alleged posts on Instagram. Man. The teen says the vice principal then uh, ordered her to delete all of the messages from her Instagram account. She said, I can't leave her office until I delete everything, said Matea. Um, uh, The mother says the family would have been okay taking down the social media post had the school spoken to us first and advised us uh, that would have been in the best interest to calm the situation down. However, we would have liked to have been able to make copies before they were deleted. So I don't understand why the principal made her delete her own account on the school property in the office. This just makes absolutely uh, no sense. Uh, goes on to say a few uh, copies did survive. Uh, one post asked, uh, I don't want to get into what they had to say because it was, it was pretty, pretty terrible. Police were finally called out. No charges were laid. Uh, the father admits that he lost his cool. I actually went to the school uh, with the intention to fight somebody, he said. I know that's not legally right or possible, so I had to do what I had to do to get the word out. Uh, the Halton Catholic District School, uh, School Board refused to address the incident directly with City News because of concerns over privacy. Uh, the superintendent said uh, uh, that they uh, did address the issue. 
uh, of uh, Matea being forced to erase her messages. If any child in any of our schools enters an administration office and speaks of a bullying incident, it becomes the number one priority for that principal in that building. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like that happened here. Um, To ask if part of the process is to erase the video or online image, I can't really speak to that because every situation is unique. Every situation calls for a principal or vice principal to do what's best for the child. Whenever you're doing what's best for the child, I would say that the child or at least the parents should be notified and should be aware of what is going on. Apparently, uh, they've confirmed that uh, they've spoken to the students of the school who are allegedly sending the hateful messages Um, But either way, the family has decided to pull Matea from the school. Again, uh, we don't know the exact name of the school. We are trying to find that out, but it's very, very difficult to do for some reason. Uh, That being said, we tried to uh, get a hold of of the board on this, and they are not returning our calls. Uh, The family at this point, we have talked to the father. He is talking with his lawyer and does not want to speak to anybody in the media again until he addresses his uh, lawyer. So that is understandable. Uh, But of course, uh, we can't call the school directly because at this point, we don't know what it is. I'd love to find out the name. Uh, And as I mentioned, the the board is, uh, is not returning our calls. Uh, did a for did a school fail this girl who had allegedly received hundreds of racist me- uh, messages on her Instagram account? To talk more about all of this, Theo Sellis is with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works, and with us now. Hello, Theo. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm I'm still not 100% following the election, but I've you know, I'm no longer in the fetal position. I, I understand like that's progress. Uh, You know, I think a lot are feeling the same way right now. Uh, Obviously, I'm not sure if we can relate these two incidents, uh, this incident to uh, the rise in racism that seems to be going on since uh, Trump was uh, elected, uh, because this obviously started much before uh, that, of course. But it certainly seems that uh, his inability to address the situation has certainly flared these issues. Uh, What is the responsibility of the school in situations like this, Theo? Well, we not that long ago, we had that Safe and Accepting School Act passed, which made it a law that uh, every school was required to ensure that every student experienced a safe environment where they didn't feel um, afraid, where they didn't feel bullied, where they didn't feel like they were somehow being discriminated against. Um, and so it's the responsibility of the school um, to ensure that this does, this does not happen. Uh, again, we're only getting one side of the story at this point because, uh, you know, the school's not speaking to us at this point. Uh, that being said, do you find it odd that they're asking her to delete me- uh, messages and stuff off her account while she's in a principal's office? Well, there's just a lot of things that don't make sense, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to jump all over the school just because they haven't spoken. A few of these things do seem odd, like... Uh, for sure, deleting the messages seems very odd. Um, forcible confinement of a student in an office, saying you can't leave until you delete these messages, seems pretty strange. I don't think you're allowed to forcibly confine a student in your office in those conditions. Um, so it, a lot of it seems strange. So we really are just going with one half of the story. I would hope, though, that um, this didn't happen. And, it, and it, if it did happen, it's it's absolutely the complete opposite of what should have happened. Hmm. And I've been talking about this for quite a long time. What, and this is not an unfamiliar story where, where uh, parents uh, and kids in my practice will talk about how they're trying to deal with administration, try to make it safe for them to go to school, and they finally give up because they feel like nothing's been done or things have been just kept uh, undercover. You know, we've just talked to the parents or we've just talked to the students involved 
uh, but we can't tell you what we said, and we can't identify specifics about who's all involved. We just trust us that we can handle this. We you, we can't know you can't we connect it to the parents themselves, uh, and then parents inevitably seem to withdraw the kid, try to go to another school. But it's the absolute opposite of what used to happen. I've been saying this so many times. This is happening in a facility that is designed to educate our young. This is information. This is a prime opportunity for education. This, when this happens, this is way more relevant and way more effective to be used as a teaching tip for the entire school than every once in a while have an anti-bullying day or have people wear pink for a while. Hmm. When this, when this happens, what needs to happen is that these, these, uh, comments, this bullying, this, this evidence of bullying and harassment needs to be displayed. It needs to be brought into the school. It needs to be put forward in front of the student body. It, people within the student body need to be invited to come up with different initiatives to, A, help that particular student who's feeling ostracized. What is the student body going to do? This should be put forward to classes. This should be part of an assignment that students end up being graded on. It should become part of the actual curriculum so that students are working together to prevent this. This shouldn't go undercover. This is a prime learning opportunity for the rest of the school. Because most of the time, the majority of the students aren't doing this still. The majority of the students are not sending these kind of comments out. But, but they need to be connected. They need to be brought into this because they need to understand that sitting by and doing nothing is akin to bullying, them, bullying themselves. We need to get the bystanders involved. And so if we really are, and as the school, Safe and Accepting School uh, Act says you need to do, which is make sure you create a positive, welcoming climate, this is an opportunity for students to go, okay, here's the problem. This is what's happened. These are the comments. This is the student involved. How do we deal with this as a student body? How do we deal with this as teachers? How do we work this into the curriculum? How do we make this our responsibility as a whole entire school to reach out to the people who are affected, and how do, we, how do we go about preventing this in the future? The last thing you should be doing is deleting the messages and speaking privately just to the two students involved. That just keeps it undercover, and it keeps it more likely to happen. So, obviously, you think the Halton Catholic School Board is missing a teachable moment at this time. Uh, you said an interesting point. You used the word still, still happening. Are you surprised this is still happening? I mean, we talk about this an awful lot. No, I, on one hand, we say... Part of me, the optimistic part, goes, "Oh wow, really?" And but the other part of me that just has seen it continue to happen year after year, and see how people seem to still have issues with, you know, being able to focus on some sort of perceived difference and sort of try to make themselves feel more powerful by, you know, sort of putting other people down who seem to be different in some sort of level. And I do think that, you know, I do think there is not that this does hasn't happened before the whole Trump fiasco. Um, but I think this is going to happen more. I think there is a connection between the two. I think there's no doubt that when you have someone in such a high public eye position, the President of the United States is emboldening people to come forward. He, he, he said these horrible, defamatory, degrading, demeaning, flat-out blatant lies. He, he broke pretty much every rule of public decorum and morality. And he didn't get punished for it, which we would normally expect, which keeps a lot of us from saying these kind of things. He got rewarded. So, hey, (laughs) why not? Hey, we can be free. Thank goodness Trump got elected because we can now be free to speak what we want to speak. No one's going to stop us from saying what we really feel. Hey, this is an empowering moment. This is an anti-political correctness movement that we're all part of. We can actually go about and say our private thoughts that ordinarily we might maybe 
kind of high because we would get slapped on the wrist for it, and we'd be ostracized. We'd be like, that's not right. You can't be saying that about people like that. That's not appropriate. Why not now? What's what's the bar now? What's, the, bar has been, the bar has been lowered to such a degree around decency that you just sort of trip over it without even trying. Uh, does Trump need to address this, do you think? You know what? I'm... <laughs> I'm, I almost snapped at you, Scott, and you're a victim in, in this, but I'm going to go on a bit of a tirade. Brace yourself, my friend. All right, go for it. we got to stop asking Trump questions. <laughs> but he's the you president, he's the way, president of the United States-elect. No, How do you stop asking him matter. questions? Look, you know what liars do, Scott? Do I they know lie. what li- Yeah, yeah. They lie. That's what liars do. And so the guy lies. And so what do we do? We invite him on 60 Minutes, and everyone rallies around the TV to see what will Trump say next. Well, he said that next. Well, it doesn't matter what he says next. He's a liar. we got to stop. So it doesn't matter what Trump says one moment to another moment. We've got to stop asking questions. And part of this is sort of the same kind of thing that happens in an abusive relationship. When an abuser is being abusive, abusive the person who they're, being, who they're being abusive to will oftentimes hang on the last thing, oh, they promised to be good this time. They're not going to do this again. They've changed. What we need to do is to stop go by what the person says and start recording and responding to what the person does. Don't keep asking the person to lie and justify the, what they have said before and come up with other lies. We're, we're, we're actually enabling this guy. The more we ask him questions, the more we give him a forum, the more it is that he can lie to us, the more we can serve again. He's saying, oh, Trump said this, this is what he said. Oh, this time he says he's not going to build a wall. Oh, oh, maybe he's not going to build a wall. Maybe this time he's... And he's pro-Mexican or something. Who cares what he says? Uh, a listener uh, just called uh, my producer and said uh, that we're comparing Trump to uh, uh, saying that he's not denouncing or her, uh, denouncing the harassing of minorities. From the 60-minute interview, he says, and I say, stop it. If it is, if it helps, I will say this, and I will say, right to the cameras, stop it. That's great. That's good. And then what will he say next? What difference does it make? It doesn't matter. This is the point. We, we've somehow given a person who has absolutely no credibility an ongoing forum to speak. Uh, so uh, why do we do this? And I suspect it's not because people in 60 Minutes really believe the latest thing that Trump says. It's because he, when Trump says things, it's a ratings thing. And so people yeah. like want to, it's entertainment. Yep. But the president-elect has now become a focus not for leadership or integrity. It's become like a reality show, oddly and ironically enough. And so it's entertaining. And so don't think for a moment that there aren't people who are watching that and seeing Trump say these things and being invited to have a forum who now feel like this is their forum whether it's Instagram on some kid's account that you're insulting and, and, and talking about, hey, why haven't you jumped, jumped off a bridge yet, uh, mm. to having a blog or to speaking about this in, in, in the office or to uh, hanging around on public places and, and bullying people as they walk by. It doesn't matter. They've got a forum. If Trump's got a forum, why can't we have a forum? Theo Sellis has been with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works. Theo, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks, Theo. Uh, Once again, we have just found out it is uh, Holy Trinity Secondary School. Uh, That's Holy Trinity Secondary School in Oakville, part of the uh, Halton Region Catholic School Board. Uh, We have sent, uh, my producer Liz just uh, phoned Holy Trinity Secondary School. Uh, They put her on hold. Uh, Once they they came back to her, they said that uh, address all inquiries to the uh, Halton Catholic School Board, uh, to which, of course, we have already done that, and they are not returning our calls. So hopefully we'll find out what exactly did happen at Holy Trinity Secondary School and why the Halton Region Catholic School Board is not saying anything at this point. 
You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, uh, people go, you know, as soon as you bring this up, people just, uh, I remember when I first started here the first time back in the 90s, uh, early 90s. And I was doing some, I was working at Y95 behind me and then would come over here and do the odd talk show stint. And I remember one of the producers saying, hey, you want to light up the phone lines? Just start talking about cats. People are wacky. And uh, sure enough, he was right. Uh, Feel free to offer your opinion. You can send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Of course, the phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Licensing, yay or nay? And what do we do about the 130,000 or so stray cats that are floating around Hamilton? Uh, To talk more about all of uh, this, Ken Leanders is with us, Director of Licensing, the City of Hamilton. He is with us now. Hello, Ken. How are you today? Good, Scott. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Am I right? It seems every couple of years this issue comes out and it just gets the public going wonky. It's one of those hot-button items for council that they have to deal with. But it's interesting, uh, you know, when it came up, you know, several councils ago, uh, no one in the province or even in, in Canada was looking at licensing cats. Now Hamilton's one of the last municipalities that, that large municipalities that is tackling this issue. So there's lots and plenty that do this. That's right. I mean, there's been some great successes. I mean, Calgary, of course, has been the leader in in licensing cats and dogs, and uh, you know they're 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 licensing them and they're they're obtaining significant revenue that they can put back into uh, animal care and and to reduce the overpopulation because. Basically, it is one of the biggest issues in municipalities across Canada is the overpopulation of cats. I remember reading a story a while back that Calgary had fi- had figured something out. What are they doing right? Well, you, you know what? Uh, we're following the model of Calgary. We're engaging the citizens. And, uh, and you know, we've been working on this for the last couple of years for dog licensing. And so we have about, uh, we were at about 50%. We're, we're closer to 55% compliance rate. But enforcement, unfortunately, is is one of the issues we have to do. So we've done the education, but people feel that, hey, no one's, no one's bothering me, so I'm not going after it. So the last couple of years, we've had students going door to door, and we've been issuing notices, and we've been following up with enforcement. And you know what? We just ran a very successful amnesty program the month of uh, October where 1,200 new dogs have been licensed. So we're working towards that. We guesstimate there's about 70,000 dogs in our community. 38,000 are currently licensed. So um, it's it's given us the tools that we need to ensure that there is responsible pet ownership out there. So what is the law for dog ownership? Well, dog ownership, you, you've got to have your your uh, pet licensed. And, you know, there's all kinds of, of things that we do in relation to licensing because we, the provincial legislation also says you must have your dog vaccinated. And so we can ensure that the, the animal is vaccinated through licensing. So it's one of the things we ask for. We also encourage responsible pet ownership so that you're, you're spay-neutering your pet and so that we're not dealing with an overpopulation. You come up to our shelter anytime. 60% of the animals up there are cats. Uh, very few dogs are, are up there. And when we do find a dog, 55% of all those dogs are returned from, to the owner because we actually know who the owner is through licensing. Is it easier to license dogs than cats? Why has this been such an issue? 
Well, I, I think nobody wants to, to license cats, and I think there's a society issue that, that cats are somewhat disposable, or, or why would you want to license my pet? You know, I can't put a tag on it. It, it, uh, it stays inside the house. There's always a million excuses. But meanwhile, dog owners have complied for this for the last 25 years, and we've actually been able to get a handle on uh, the dog issue. And, and so licensing has helped us do that. We've actually put a lot, money, lot more money back into uh, uh, leash-free pet uh, areas in the, in the city, and dog licensing allows us to do that. What we're, we're deciding now, and we've been directed by council, is, you know, we have a cat population. We need to have... Uh, uh, trap neuter release programs. We need to have some control of the feral cat population. We need to ensure that the feral cat population doesn't get rabies. There's so many things we need to do, but how do we do that? And we can look at this big picture and say, well, you know, it's it's just one of the many clogs in the wheel. But what we've went forward with in licensing to council is we need to take that first step. And if we don't take that first step, we're never going to go down on that journey. And the first step is actually licensing to create responsible pet ownership, to ensure these, these animals uh, have vaccinations, and to help uh, develop some funds so that we can start going down this road of, of chipping, uh, uh, microchipping clinics and, and trap neuter release uh, programs and low-cost spay neuters so that we can take those steps that we need to control the overpopulation. So basically you're just looking for the same sort of steps that a dog owner would take. Exactly. And, and you know, we've got great compliance with uh, the citizens of Hamilton in dog licensing. Uh, we're looking for the same thing in cats. Are there any bylaws on the books now in regard to cats? There are. The, the responsible pet ownership uh, bylaw covers all pets. So, uh, you know, one of the biggest concerns on, on a lot of the advocates that are against cat licensing is that the city of Hamilton limits the amount of pets you're allowed to have. And right now the bylaw says you're only allowed to have four. And it's certainly something we need to look at because we know if, if someone has numerous pets that they're more likely they're going to look after them. And we want to make sure that if you own a cat, you look after it, you spay neuter it, you give it the proper vaccinations, and, and we're good with that. Um, it's the ones that, that, well, yeah, it's just my cat and no big deal, and I'm not worried about vaccinations, and I'm not worried about spay neuter. And those are the cats that are out there roaming around. And, and having kittens, it's causing us all the grief for overpopulation. Is it the cats seem more independent and don't really need us as much as a dog does? Is that why the attitude's different? I'm not, I'm not quite sure why the attitude is. I think maybe there hasn't been a focused approach on it. I mean, uh, when you talk to cat lovers, they love their animal. They spend thousands and thousands on, uh, on their animals. Uh, but when you talk about licensing, nobody wants to go down that road. Although, if you say, listen, we're going to take this money that we receive from licensing and we're going to put it back into managing cats, a lot of the owners say, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. As long as it's not a, a new tax, it's, it's not going towards the tax levy, right. you're going to use that money to, to improve the life of cats in our community, I'm okay with that. And so that's where we're hoping to go. That's the first step. Uh, what about cost? What is the cost to license a dog, and are you looking some, for something similar with a cat? Uh, we're, we're actually going to have a reduced rate for, for licensing uh, cats. We're only asking for $20. Of course, the, the, it's $45 if the cat is not fixed. So the mm -hmm. idea is, is to encourage uh, animals to, to, uh, or pet owners to, to have them spayed neutered. A dog license is much more money. It's, it's, you know, it's $33, and, and if, in fact, uh, it's not spayed neutered, we're up to $65. So uh, cat licensing is, is, we're trying to make it affordable. Of course, we have rates for seniors, so you know, if that's the, the issue, I can't afford it. I mean, we're going to work with the community. 
we every we we look after about 60% of all animals at the shelter are cats and we bring in 2100 different animals or different cats in our shelter every year and so we spend a lot of time trying to rehome these these animals and uh, and we we give them vaccinations and we give them uh, checkups and then we work with all our partners to to find them homes we're hoping that uh that the community gets behind us and helps us with licensing so that we can start controlling the population. Speaking of technology, Ken, should we be going just right to a microchip type of thing, or is that just a cost, cost issue? Well, it's not really. It is a bit of a cost issue. I mean, if you go to your veterinarian clinic, it's going to be around $25. We're looking at, uh, at, at doing it at, at a cheaper cost. Um, w- but microchipping is a wonderful tool however there's 10 providers out there mm-hmm. and so when i when one of our officers actually stops and, and finds a, a stray cat and we we scan every one of the cats then it now takes us you know 20 minutes uh, of phone calls per per uh, database to find it so mm. if we have the central licensing system you can have your animal microchipped it will be in our, our database because the animal is licensed, and we can return your cat to you instantly. And that's one of the focuses that we're using in licensing. We'll give your animal a free ride home. <laughs> Where is this now? Where are we sitting with this at the city? What happens now? Well, it went to committee and, and great debates, uh, uh, lots, of, lots of questions. Um, and, and obviously, as you know, many councillors as well as citizens are very passionate about this. It was, uh, the, the actual report was received. And but there was no recommendations set to it, so it goes uh, back towards council uh, for review next Wednesday, and so council can either pull it back out and have a discussion on it, or they could just receive it and then it's a dead issue. So uh, it's basically in council's hands, and uh, and we'll follow whatever council wants us to do. Ken Leanders has been with us, director of licensing at the city of Hamilton, talking about licensing cats. Ken, thanks for the time. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Scott. <laughs> All right, take Thank care. You. Wow, are these people that want to talk to me on this? Holy smokes. All right, let's start with Chris. Then we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to get a uh, veterinarian veterinarian on. Chris, what are your thoughts on all this? Should cats be licensed? Yeah. Hey, Scott. Um, As far as the cats, I was going to say, I just wanted to know if you guys remember years back they had a big problem with the dogs, like you said, with licensing, uh, getting the licensing done. Mm -hmm. Um, They actually, for these dogs, because they were turning wild, going uh, into uh, coyote packs and, and yeah. everything, right? And they had they were actually having shootouts, like shoot, shooting them, having actual hunters go out and shoot these things. So do With you think the they should... I so don't think you need to do that, but there's got to be some way you can trap them and uh, just, you know, like there's got to be some other way of controlling these uh, cats uh, like, couldn't they do what they're doing with the raccoons? Maybe uh, putting out the uh, rabies bites and and vaccine bites. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a good question. Thanks for the call. Much appreciated. Uh, Shirley's online too. Shirley, what are your thoughts? Should we be licensing cats? Uh, yes, I do. And actually, I think the more money you have tied up in your pet, uh, the more likely you are to license it to make sure you get it back. Uh, but I find, too, that the licensing place where you go, I get charged 33 or $34 for my little dog. And uh, they said that if I brought a paper in from the vet, uh, that they would give it to me at the senior's rate. 
You know what I mean? Yep. Well, anyway, I did that, and then they told me, no, she's not fixed. And I said, well, she's barely two pounds, and they don't feel that she would survive being fixed. And I think if I had the letter, like, you know, showed them the letter from the vet explaining that, I should still get the tag at the senior's rate. No, I hear you. It's a great argument. Thanks for the call, Shirley. Much appreciated. Uh, let's bring in uh, Lisa O'Brien. She's a feline specialist and Hamilton veterinarian uh, at the Cat Clinic and with us now. Lisa, how are you today? Oh, hi, hi Scott. It's, it's actually Liz. No worries. Oh, I'm um, sorry, Liz. And I, no worries at all. And I'm, I'm really good and, and certainly interested to, to hear, um, you know, all, all kinds of... Is cat licensing is cat licensing a good idea, Liz? Do you know what? Responsible cat ownership is a good idea, and um, and responsible cat ownership, if licensing means cats are are identified, that they're spayed and neutered, um, that they are protected against infectious diseases, you know, in, including rabies. Um, certainly, I'm I'm. I'm for that. I have a number of concerns with the proposal that the city has brought to committee, though. Um, there's several concerns I have. I think, um, you know, you'll, we'll hear lots of conversations about we do it for dogs. Cats are not small dogs. Cats are a very um, different species, and they, they are the most popular companion animal. And um, I'm all for the city to, we have a big cat overpopulation crisis, and I think identification of all cats is, is very important. Um, but I do, and spaying and neutering, absolutely important, and, and vaccine for rabies. But licensing is only one strategy, and um, I did hear Ken speaking about responsible cat ownership and responsible pet ownership. And Calgary has done a great job with licensing, but Calgary has responsible pet ownership bylaws in place that they could then have a foundation to build licensing. And the really neat thing about Calgary, because I travel across the country talking to veterinarians, shelters, cat owners, and I've been um, actively involved with the Calgary group when Bill Bruce brought licensing cats into Calgary. And I can tell you one really neat thing about Calgary is it is a collaborative group. The shelter, which is like the Calgary Humane Society, works with the city of Calgary. They, they work together. There's even the Meow Foundation, one of the rescue groups that do trap neuter return. They even have an office within um, the Calgary Animal Services. Everyone works together. It was a collaboration to make this work. In Hamilton, we have a great collaborative group. We have the Hamilton Burlington SBCA is exceptional on the work they do. We have uh, various rescue groups that work with directly with the Hamilton Burlington SBCA. So what's the answer here, Liz? So the answer is, I think, the answer is we, the city, we, a number of people were individually consulted, but I think this proposal wasn't even ready to go to committee, yet alone council. I think we need to have, we have intelligent people here that are in the grassroots doing good work. They're microchipping cats. They're spaying and neutering cats. The, that we need to get a committee together to work with the city to start where we want to finish, to cr- create a proposal that will, will take into 
use all the resources we have, all the knowledge we have to work together so that when we have a microchipping clinic, guess what? We're making sure that, that we have accessible spay neuter and that when we have a rabies clinic, those cats are automatically being microchipped. I think we have great resources in the city, but this proposal, I'll tell you one of the big concerns I have with this proposal is that in dogs, they have altered dogs, so spayed and neutered dogs. It is less expensive for a license than than a, a dog that's not altered, that's not spayed and neutered. We have and that here in the city as well, though. Yes, I am. And the city has, has, on their proposal, put that unaltered cats can be licensed. Unaltered cats yeah. are pa- yeah. part yeah. of our problem. Yeah, good and, point. You know, and years ago, I heard Kit Jenkins from PetSmart Charities. She was lecturing internationally, and she said to the rescue groups and the humane societies, if you adopt out a cat that is not spayed and neutered, you are part of the cat overpopulation problem. And when I have, this is a huge, this is one of the concerns I have with this proposal, is now our city of Hamilton is saying, you're okay to have an unaltered cat that's going to have three litters a year, a year of three to ten um, cats. That's going to be the cat that roams, the cat that fights, the cat that sprays because they're not all altered. But you know what? For $45, we'll give you a license. That, that doesn't make sense. That's not, that's, we're being then, as a city, part of the problem. Hmm, and that's the root of the problem. We have a cat overpopulation crisis. So I think there's, that's just one example of, of several concerns I have within this proposal. And if I was a city councillor, um, I would say to committee, to send it back to the staff and say, meet with the, get a group together. You know, mm-hmm. I'm one of six feline specialists in Canada. We have great work going on at the SPCA, at our Hamilton Burlington SPCA. They're, they're renowned. They're known nationally. I think if we work together, honestly, I think Hamilton has the resources to create a program and initiative, whether it's licensing cats, responsible cat ownership. I believe we have the resources and ability to set the standard nationally. Liz O'Brien has been with us, a veterinarian at the Cat Clinic, feline specialist. Liz, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. No problem. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, uh, as you may or may not be aware, hopefully you are, tomorrow residents within Niagara-West Glanbrook will be voting in their by-election. This was a by-election, uh, riding rather, that was vacated when former progressive conservative Tim Hudak resigned and, of course, creating uh, the opening. Yesterday, we had the PC candidate and the Green candidate on. Today, of course, we will have the Liberal and NDP candidate. Let's introduce you to Vicky Ring- uh, Ringette. Vicky Ringette is the Liberal candidate for Niagara-West Glanbrook and is with us now. Hello, Vicki. How are you today? I'm good. Hi, Scott. How are you? Good. Thanks very much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. I'm sure you're, you're, it's probably pretty busy as you get down to crunch time. We're still knocking on doors, Scott, and that's going to continue until the, the wee hours of the evening. So what are they saying uh, to you in Niagara-West Glanbrook when you do knock on doors? Um, I think we're having some really good uh, conversations and discussions on a variety of issues, whether it's uh, from hydro, healthcare, education, transit. Um, It it just varies depending on on whereabouts we're at in the riding. So uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people are upset about electricity rates. What do you say to that, and and what are they saying to you at the door regarding electricity rates? Well, I mean, first of all, I get it because I, I pay a hydro bill as well. So I, I certainly know that it's getting much more difficult for 
um, for, for individuals to um, be paying those hydro bills every, every month. But um, we're having some good conversations about uh, why that is, and we're having discussions about the improvements that the government has made to the infrastructure, and that needed to be done. It was an old infrastructure that needed to be upgraded. We had uh, smog days, about 53 a year, which we don't have anymore because we've moved from that coal-powered energy to the clean energy that we're producing now. So, I mean, we're having these conversations about where we want to see Ontario go in the future and where we stand now, and I think that a lot of people are very proud of the fact that we're producing over 90% emissions-free energy here in the province. I think everybody. I think everybody is is green now. It seems all absolutely. Most parties are green, and everybody wants to to do what they can to save the planet for the next generation. But there's that Auditor General report that said that the the wind government overspent by on the green program by like thirty seven billion dollars. How do you combat that at the door? I mean, I think that you know all the decisions that are made are made uh, as part of a team, and they're made in consultation with a number of stakeholders. And I think that the government is doing the best that they can, right? It's not uh, it's not an easy world to govern in right now. And sometimes, um, you know, you got to look at what can we do in the future to make uh, lives better for our residents. And what we're doing right now is, you know, we're looking at that 8% reduction of the hydro bill where um, it's been canceled in terms of phase two of the uh, large renewable projects. Um, you know, there's a lot of of thought process um, that has gone into where do we go now. And I think that what's important to understand is that the government has heard loud and clear, very loud and clear, what Ontarians are um, are frustrated about. And, and it, this is just the beginning, right? Um, like I said, with the 8% reduction, this is a start. Um, with the cancellation of that project, we're saving $3.8 billion dollars. Um, we've already saved about $4 billion in healthcare by moving to a clean energy model. So I think there's a lot more to do, and that's the whole point of, of the position of the NPP, um, and that's what I'm hoping to do in the next 19 months, is be the person that can sit at that table and come up with more ideas. And I've heard great ideas throughout this campaign about what we could be doing more. You know, I've heard from shift workers that say, hey, these peak times and peak hours for usage of energy don't work for me. Could we get something different for my household? I've heard from farmers that say, you know, the rates we're paying now, it's just not good enough. Could we negotiate uh, some sort of, of, of rate like they do in other provinces for farmers? Those are valid suggestions, and I think that we have a responsibility to hear them, and so we need that voice at that table at Queen's Park. Is, is that perhaps the biggest issue that you're encountering door-to-door? It's certainly one that has been discussed on a number of occasions, but I would say to you that the other big issue is the health care. Mm-hmm. That's, been, that's been very important to the communities, whether it's in, in Grimsby or whether it's in Stony Creek Mountain. Um, I think that a lot of people are looking at, um, you know, the idea of, of $12 billion in, in health care spending coming in the next 10 years, and they want to make sure that we have our fair share in this region. Um, they're looking at uh, long-term care homes. You know, are we going to be looking at building more? Because all the ones I've visited here, they're all at max capacity. So we need more beds. Our population is aging, and we need more support for families that have decided to take in 
um, their, um, their elderly parents into their own cares. So, I mean, there's a lot of conversation that needs to take place over the next few months. But, um, you know, it's a majority liberal government. So let's put someone at the table to bring those concerns there. Uh, any chatter regarding hospital in Grimsby? Absolutely. Absolutely. The hospital in Grimsby has, um, you know, a number of renovations that have to uh, take place. I've been there. I've used it. We've put in $4.9 million dollars, sorry, in 2014. That's clearly not enough. I sit on the board of directors of the community health care board for the last four years, and I know exactly um, the challenges. And we have to keep conversing with the frontline workers. The Hamilton Health Sciences Group has already started that work. But again, that $12 billion that's coming in the next 10 years, I want to make sure that someone is sitting at that table to say, hey, we need... Grimsby to be looked at, and we need Grimsby to be addressed, because that population is not just aging, but there's a lot of young families moving into Grimsby, and how are we going to support that community from a healthcare perspective? Uh, Surprised that there has been so much attention paid to this race? That there has been or not been? No, that there has been. Why? Do you think that there isn't been? There hasn't been? Well, I think we've been overshadowed a little bit by the U.S. election. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, but I think now, um, you know, we're, we're really uh, getting the word out there, which is good because the election day is tomorrow. Um, and I think that people are looking at the alternatives, and we're all very, very different. Um, I think that people are looking to have someone with experience um, in a position that is uh, to be devoted 100%. I think that people are looking for someone who, um, you know, has not just life experience, but work experience. I'm a business owner. I've had my own law firm for the last five years. So I've hired employees. I've, you know, made payroll deductions. I've, um, I've, you know, managed all the ups and downs that come with business ownership. And that's not something that, um, that everyone on the ballot has done, right? I've uh, certainly... Um, you know, been a, a, a very balanced person in the community in the sense of representing either, you know, bargaining agent rights or representing families. And someone that has actually used the system is what we need in place here. We need someone that's going to go there and say, I've used the family court system or, you know, I've used um, the hospital or I've, I've visited these long-term care um, centers, and I see what's needed. And you don't just get that, um, you know, with with being involved in a, you know, a couple summer jobs here and there. Like, you get that with concrete, hard work, and life and work experience. All right, we got about a minute left here, Vicki. Uh, I'll give that one to you. Why should voters consider a, a vote for Vicki Ringette, uh, the Liberal candidate for Niagara West Glambrook? Well, I think that we need someone that can listen to everyone in this community. That's regardless of race, religion, citizenship, creed, sexual orientation, family or economic status. I haven't heard um, that from all of my uh, fellow candidates, that they're uh, going to be an inclusive voice for Niagara-West Glenbrook. Uh, Yesterday, I listened to your interview with my uh, conservative candidate, and all I heard was Niagara. And I'm disappointed in that because this writing is Niagara-West-Glenbrook. And we need someone that is going to be representing this writing in its entirety and in a positive way. 
And I think that's something that's very important to remember. So for those out there who are thinking, you know, am I going to split this vote? This is not a joke. This is very serious. This by-election is important, and we've got a lot of work on our plate. So please choose someone that's ready to go, that's experienced, and that's certainly motivated and energetic enough to make things happen over the next 19 months. I do not want to see us and our taxpayer dollars going to someone who's going to sit there for the next 19 months and just learn about what the job is. I need someone in place that can get the ball rolling, and that's what I can offer. Vicki Ringett has been with us, Liberal candidate for Niagara West Glambrook, and of course, uh, the big by-election is tomorrow. Vicki, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thanks, Scott. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, Vicki. That is Vicki Ringett. She is a Liberal candidate for Niagara West Glambrook. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. In uh, Ni- or Niagara West Glanbrook is the by-election. This is the uh, the area that was vacated by Tim Hudak when he quit. And, uh, of course, yesterday had on the PC candidate and the Green candidate. Uh, you just heard from Vicky Ringette, the Liberal candidate. And now let's meet Mike Thomas, NDP candidate for Niagara West Glanbrook. And he is on the line with us now. Hello, Mike. How are you today? Fantastic, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, so the last 24 hours for you, what does that mean? More do- uh, door knocking? <laughs> we haven't stopped, actually, for the whole uh, length of this uh, by-election period. But, uh, oh, yeah, we're uh, we're out there. Uh, we got teams all over the place. And then um, I'm out there myself, right, knocking on the doors. And uh, we're just trying to uh, yeah, pull those last votes in. What are you hearing as you go to the doors? Um it's um we've sort of gone through a little bit of transition but i will say that hydro one has always been the number one issue uh, with the people they're uh, furious that the liberal government sold it off and and um you know and, and um, the people that have been following it for years they actually know that the pcs are the ones that got the ball rolling on it so um you know what everybody's uh, bills are skyrocketing so uh, i'm hearing it i'm going to say that's probably about 85 percent of the doors that i uh, knock on that's a huge issue and then, um, you know, healthcare, um, you know, um, in, in uh, the certain areas out here in Grimsby, the West Lincoln Memorial Hospital is a, a hot topic. Uh, 2012 there, Kathleen Wynne axed the rebuild uh, funding for the hospital, and after, that's after the community had raised about $14 million uh, for their uh, their portion of it. And uh, it was a slap in the face, and uh, they're furious about it out here. And uh, now as we get a little bit closer to the to the actual election day tomorrow, uh, it started changing. And I will say it seemed to change right after the U.S. election came, uh, finished. And uh, then people just seemed to get a little bit more engaged and they started learning a little bit more about the candidates. So and, talk a little bit about that, because uh, one of the other candidates also mentioned that. Do you think it sort of overshadowed what you guys are trying to do, or has it perhaps changed attitude a bit? Um well, I, I think, uh, yeah, what's happened there after yeah, the U.S. election there and people started uh, zeroing in, it's, uh, I think it's been beneficial for me. People are zeroing in on, you know, life experiences, uh, um, you know, how you'll be able to f- perform in that job. And, and uh, so, you know, and that, that's a real important component uh, to uh, who should be representing the people in this riding. When people complain to you about hydro bills and such, Mike, what do you say to them? How, how is any opposition party or anybody that comes in, uh, whether it's in this by-election or, or even in the, in the next election in Ontario coming up uh, in 2018, what can other parties do to help what's already done? 
Well, first of all, I make sure everybody knows uh, who's responsible for this. Uh, this it was uh, it was the wrong decision, and of, of everything uh, the Liberals have done. I got to tell you, Scott, I, I just don't get why they sold Hydro One. Uh, it was, uh, you know, long-term uh, revenue, uh, you know, stream coming into the province. It was paying for uh, health care. It was paying for our education systems. And uh, we would have that forever. But uh, we have, uh, you know, a short-term lump sum that we could put on the deficit, I guess. And and, uh, and, and that's it. Eh? But it was very short-sighted. And, and you know, people people are aware of that. Now, you know, from our um, uh, from my standpoint, when I'm out there, I, I'm, we're saying, listen, we're going to do everything we can to prevent the further s- uh, sell-off because they're selling it off in blocks, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we want to prevent the next uh, block from uh, being sold. And that's and, and that's I got to tell you, it, it's difficult when the Liberals hold all these votes, right, in in, uh, in the Queens Park. But uh, we're going to continue to fight uh, for that. And then um, we have to look at uh, ways to reduce people's bills. And uh, we're willing, and uh, we've, uh, we've been saying this publicly for quite some time, we have to get uh, the people in and figure out how, what we have to do to lower lower people's bills. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, just put a put you know caps on this stuff because uh, people can't afford it right and and it's just that uh, one house just this morning actually with andrew horvath she was down in the city and and uh, we uh, went to one lady's house there and they just can't afford it and um, yeah i gotta tell you it was a sad sad story there but uh, we're doing what we can here uh liberals obviously have been in power provincially for a long time the, your the writing uh, of uh, niagara west glambrook or glambrook has been of course uh, a pc stronghold for a long period of time do you get the feeling that residents are ready for some sort of change oh definitely uh, that's that's what that's what we're hearing at the door and uh, and i sort of mentioned that uh, i'm going to say uh, once that u.s election there was finished there that's when people really zeroed in on it and uh, and uh, we're hearing it. Uh, Kathleen Wynne's popularity is um, somewhere around fourteen or fifteen percent, and uh, you know it's uh, it's stinging them right now. Uh, people have caught on, and they know you know the investigations and the arrests that they had of the old chief of staff people, and and uh, people are aware of that, eh? And and uh, they they were informed, and um, and then the, uh, you know from the uh, PC side, yeah, people just aren't. Uh, um, they're looking at life experience, and, uh, and that's sort of how the dialogue of the doors has changed, right? And, and uh, you know, with my background, um, uh, first of all, in, in policing, but I was also the president of our uh, police association. And, and in that role, you know, I lobbied at Queen's Park, and I lobbied in Ottawa, and, and, and did it successfully. And it's those kind of experiences that, that I certainly want to bring, um, you know, as the MPP to this riding. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here, Mike. So uh, why should voters consider, uh, why should voters of Niagara West Glenbrook consider uh, Mike Thomas, NDP candidate, uh, a choice? Why should why should they pick you, Mike? Oh, I got they, um, we, I have uh, served, uh, the, you know, the, the, our community, uh, you know, of Hamilton there for 35 years as a police officer. I gained uh, you know, leadership skills, uh, and um, uh, there's so many, there's so many, you know, different skills and, and abilities that you and knowledge that uh, you you get uh, fulfilling that role, representing my members, and uh, very valuable. Then, when I was the association president, I, you know, I represented my my members, and 
you know, to the, you know, certainly the best of my abilities. But again, that was a whole different set of skills. And that's when I sort of got into uh, working with all the parties and, um, and uh, lobbying for, uh, you know, certain changes that we were looking for, and but did it successfully, right? So it was comfortable working in the government. And um, yeah, this, is a, this is a huge riding, and, and there's, uh, you know, there's a global issues like hydro, um, you know, and healthcare, right, throughout the whole riding. But, uh, you know, then you have, um, you know, pockets of, of areas, and, and I mentioned there the West Lincoln Memorial Hospital, um, for that particular area, that is, you know, a major concern. And I'm aware that I've knocked on over 4,000 doors. I've talked to thousands of people. I've listened to the concerns, and uh, and I understand them. And I want to continue that public service. I want to I want to be the MPP for this riding. And uh, you know, I've got I've got the life skills to do it. Right? I've I've uh, raised two children. I got two grandchildren. I. Um, I, um, you know, I have an understanding of uh, what it's like to pay your hydro bills, right? And uh, i got to tell you, it's all life experiences, and it's so important. Uh, I've been through it. I can relate to people. Uh, I understand when they have an issue. And that communication skill and having lived it myself, because i got to tell you, you know, like uh, just like uh, most of us, you know, when my kids were little, you know what, we didn't have uh, two cents to rub together there for many years. And i got to tell you, lived it, I understand it. And uh, and uh, I want to help. Obviously, obviously, Michael, electricity a, a big issue. Uh, you know, pretty much no matter where you go in the province, but obviously down in, in that area, the whole issue around the the West Lincoln upgrade and such has has put a thorn in a lot of people's side. How much did you hear for, about that going door to door? Oh, yeah. When I got into the when I got, got into that area in the Grimsby area. Um, oh, people are furious about it, Scott, and um, they are just—they um, were upset about it. And, and and I think what even hurt even more was that uh, when the community rallied, um, and uh, I believe that they're they were asked to raise about twelve million dollars as sort of as their portion. Well, you got a whole community that came together, right? And through different fundraising, you know, some small, some big, some local businesses, I believe, made uh, donations there of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So then you 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 surpass uh, the twelve million and you make it almost fourteen million dollars, and then to have it taken away, that hospital has uh, so many of the residents here have been were born in that hospital. It goes mm. back to I believe nineteen forty eight, so they're connected to it, and uh, and it stings, and uh, they are furious about this uh, rebuild being canceled. So uh, if you you know you hear the liberals saying, oh yeah, okay, now we'll we'll work on that rebuild. You can't believe it. That's believe it. Andrew Horvath and I, we uh, had a press conference right in front of the West Lincoln Memorial Hospital about uh, a week and a half ago, and we uh, committed it. Uh, the media was there. We're committed to the rebuild, and uh, we want to make we want to make it happen. Are you surprised at the attention that this by-election has received? You said maybe not so much during the whole Trump fiasco, but now are you surprised, especially with having a young candidate? And I don't want to draw that attention on your on your piece, but it does. This all seems to be generating a bit more reaction to a, a by-election than in the past. Your thoughts on that? I I, I think it's actually more. Um you know, people, you know, were in the initial stages were, you know, they were interested in um, in, in a uh, younger person, you know, getting involved. But, uh, you know, I, I've really, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I've stayed away from that and I just go on life experiences, right? But um, I, I think it's been gaining steam because I, I think um, that uh, people are interested in, um, 
in uh, the Liberals, right, in, in Kathleen Wynne and her performance. And I believe that they want to show a message that uh, it's been unacceptable. unacceptable. Um, you haven't represented us uh, very well. And that's the message that we need the constituents to put out there. Mike Thomas has been with us, NDP candidate for Niagara West Glenbrook, and of course the by-election tomorrow. Mike, thanks very much for the time. Good luck. No, thanks very much, Scott. Nice talking to you. Mike Thomas, NDP candidate for Niagara West Glanbrook. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.